Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You. And today we're going to talk about is there any correlation between the Ku Klux Klan, KKK, and contemporary Christian nationalism in the United States? We're going to look at that issue. But first I want to say that it's important, as we talked about last time, that uh, the issue of tyranny and authoritarianism, uh, culture after culture, country after country, especially throughout Europe, have fallen into supporting tyrants, fallen into supporting authoritarian governments. And if we're not careful in America, it seems like we're heading that same way in the Christian nationalist movement today. And it used to be that I was really focused on the evangelical left because the evangelical left, um, many of them, many of our uh, left-leaning seminaries and colleges and evangelicalism, they're anti-Israel, they support the boycott, divestment, and sanction movement. They um, call for Israelis to leave the land of Israel. They deny the Abrahamic covenant. And so for years, I've, that's been my focus. When I do presentations on college campuses, we talk about that narrative. And it, of course, comes from replacement theology that uh, Christians have replaced uh, Israel and the Jewish people. But in the last couple of years, I've noticed and a growing movement on the evangelical right, and it's called Christian nationalism. And to me, uh, the left, the evangelical left, is kind of like a, a minor tropical storm. It's just moving slowly. But the evangelical far right is like a hurricane. It's very destructive in its ideology of Christian nationalism. So you might ask, you know, what is Christian nationalism? Russell Moore, editor of Christianity Today, recently said, Christian nationalism refers to the use of Christian words, symbols, or rituals to shore up an ethnic or national identity and to distinguish their group from those they define as outsiders. And who would be the outsiders? Globalists, uh, liberal Jews. Those are deemed the outsiders. And the growing Christian nationalist movement in the United States seeks to convert America into a Christian nation by changing laws, taking over state and federal government institutions. The rhetoric of the movement is quickly mutating. It's becoming more and more violent. And due to the fact that it is reactionary and fear-based, Christian nationalists have always needed a nefarious character, an enemy representing evil they can blame for the problems of their time. And this is can be proven historically for the last probably 1,800 years. Historically, the enemies of choice for Christian nationalists have been Jews. And when Christian nationalists talk about globalists, the media, Hollywood's immorality, and the world's banking system, all enemies of Christian nationalists, they're often referring to Jews. So keep in mind that the present contemporary Christian nationalist brand can be traced all the way back to the fourth century, and we'll look at that in a second. Uh, Christian nationalism is a religious cult. Uh, 
It is unchristian, but employs Christian concepts and discourse to deceive its followers. Those who serve up this Kool-Aid to the masses have sold out their Christian conscience to the seduction of power and position. At its core, Christian nationalism is a political ideology of protest. It's a revolt. Some would say an insurrection against anyone or any institution opposed to its fundamental belief that America's national destiny must be Christian, and it is a Christian's duty to persuade the government by force, if necessary, to return to its Christian heritage. But Christianity was never meant to be a political ideology. On the contrary, Christianity finds its purpose not in protest, politics, or power, but through loving justice and showing mercy, especially to the poor. And, you know, the scripture says, this is true religion, to watch out for the widow and the orphan. And so Christianity is is a, a, a ministry of, of reaching the poor and, and uh, communicating uh, the love of God to our culture. There's a book, <clears throat> I've been reading this book, it's by Torba and Isker, it's entitled A Biblical Guide to Taking Dominion, and it's becoming the mantra book of Christian nationalists. It's, it's kind of like a manifesto for Christian nationalists, and if you read present-day Christian nationalists, they, they refer to this book often, and there's another book out. It's called The Case for Christian Nationalism, and this book, let me just look, it is... Uh, almost 500 pages long, The Case for Christian Nationalism, Stephen Wolf, And what these guys are talking about is basically an insurrection uh, that Christians are going to take over uh, the United States of America. And this is, I'm reading from this book, Torburn Isker, A Biblical Guide to Taking Dominion. Here's what they say. After we have attained enough Christians in our nation, we are obliged to peacefully order our state governments in such a way as to help Christianity grow and flourish in our states without restrictions. This is in obedience to our Lord and his command. The purpose of government from a Christian perspective is to preserve and protect the Christian understanding of civilization, otherwise known as Christendom. And you just have to keep in mind if you connect the historical dots, whenever Christianity <clears throat> has blended with a secular empire, whenever Christianity tries to become the government, it never goes well. It always ends in tyranny, authoritarianism, and bloodshed. And we're going to see that today on this podcast. Another thing that uh, Torber and Isker say in this book, our primary goal is to build a parallel Christian society, economy, and infrastructure, which will fill the vacuum of the failed secular state when it falls. We will build back better, but this time on the firm foundation of our faith in Jesus Christ. We will do this by ex exiting the secular system almost entirely, while at the same time exerting our influence to be the salt and light of the nations. And so what does that mean, exerting our influence? It, it, historically, whenever Christianity has blended with the empire, that means that Christians went about murdering all those that disagreed with their uh, Christendom, with their ideology. So this is very frightening stuff. And so you might ask, Aaron, what, what are you talking about? I mean, how does the KKK have anything to do with present-day Christian nationalism. Well, I'll tell you, a couple days ago, I watched the movie Mississippi Burning, and I, I know I saw that movie years ago, uh, but I re-watched it, 
And it's the 1988 film that stars Gene Hackman, William Dafoe, and Francis McDormand. It's about the Ku Klux Klan, the KKK, murder of three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, who were attempting to organize a voter registry for African Americans in rural Philadelphia, Mississippi, in 1964. And I was amazed by the similarities between the racial segregationists of the 60s and the contemporary Christian nationalist movement that is today blossoming across the American religious landscape and calling for a Christian takeover of the U.S. government. The brand has not changed. So the film exposes the deep religious influence on the racial segregationist movement in the South at the time. In a moment of vulnerability, Mrs. Pell one of the characters in the movie, played by Francis McDormand, says, It's ugly. This whole thing is so ugly. Have you any idea what it's like to live with all this? People look at us and only see bigots and racists. Hatred isn't something you were born with. It gets taught at school. They said segregation, what's said in the Bible? Genesis 9, verse 27. At seven years of age, you get told it. Enough times you believe it. You believe the hatred. You live it. You breathe it. You marry it. So one example that illuminates Pell's remarks is Clayton Townley, the fictitious character representing Samuel Bowers. And some of you will remember Samuel Bowers. He was an imperial wizard of the White Knights of the KKK and architect of the murder of the three civil rights workers. In the film, Townley responds to a question from a television commentator and states, I'm a businessman. I'm also a Mississippian and an American, and I'm getting sick and tired of the way us Mississippians are getting our views distorted by you newsmen and on the TV. So let's get this straight. We do not accept Jews because they reject Christ, and their control over the international banking cartels is at the root of what we call communism today. We do not accept Turks, Mongols, Tartars, Oriental, or nor Negroes because we are here to protect the Anglo-Saxon democracy and the American way. And when I read that, it sounds so much like what Torba and Isker are saying in their book that Christian nationalism is, is here to, by force if necessary, control the government so that we can preserve the American Christian ideal, the American Christian way of life. The real Samuel Bowers was more sinister than the character in Mississippi Burning. On June 7, 1964, two weeks prior to the murders of the three civil rights workers, two of them, by the way, were Jewish and the third an African-American, Bowers proclaimed to his followers, as Christians, we are disposed to kindness, generosity, affection, and humility in our dealing with others. As militants, we are disposed to use physical force against our enemies. How can we reconcile these two apparently contradictory philosophies, says Bowers? The answer, of course, is to purge malice, bitterness, and vengeance from our hearts. This made it clear that the militant terrorism of Samuel Bowers was driven by his Christian worldview, a distorted one for sure, but in his mind, holy mission. Some who have researched Samuel Bowers' multiple hate crimes believe a historic Christian nationalist ideology caused the pin to fall from the proverbial grenade in his hand. Bowers was influenced by the Christian identity movement of his day. And that's something you should study. Uh, just Google the Christian identity movement. And that movement, I think it started around 1910, 1920, is almost 
ideologically the same as the Christian nationalist movement today. So Samuel Bowers, the KKK uh, imperial wizard, was influenced by the Christian identity movement, which demonized minorities as subhuman and proclaimed Jews were satanic conspirators seeking to replace Anglo-Saxon American whites. According to the Christian identity movement, Jews were not the chosen people, but rather the offspring of Satan. In the fall of 64, after the FBI found the bodies of the three civil rights workers, Bowers wrote in the Klan ledger, here's what he said, Today's so-called Jews persecute Christians seeking to deceive, claiming Judea as their homeland, and they are God's chosen. They lie, for they are not Judeans, but they're from the synagogue of Satan. The long, hot summer has passed, and the three civil rights workers had no laurels to their credit, and the general public of Mississippi has had a fill of their very existence. For the success of our struggle against this scum, we offer our thanks to Almighty God, our Creator and Savior. So in his warped religious worldview, Bauer saw himself as a holy warrior on a crusade of sorts to forcibly create a white Christian America, much like a radical Islamist seeks to build an Islamic caliphate in a given region of the world. And so, you know, here in America, if there's a radical Islamist that stands up and says, we want to make America an Islamic caliphate, I would say that probably every uh, thinking Christian in America would say, you know, we don't want to live under an Islamic caliphate. But the Christian nationalists are saying the same thing. We're going to establish a Christian caliphate by force in America. And we have this thing in this country, it's called the Bill of Rights. And we have a constitution. And there's freedom of religion. And so how can you force a Christian matrix upon a culture without using violence? It's it's impossible. Not only was Bowers found guilty of instigating the murders of Cheney, Goodman, and Schwerner, but he also murdered uh, Vernon Dahmer in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and was accused of bombing Jewish targets in Jackson and Meridian, Mississippi. He'd die in prison at the age of 82 after piling up a Christian killing spree of nine murders, 300 beatings, burnings, and bombings. Acts of vengeance often accompanied by a burning cross, the signature emblem of the Klan that was designed not only to declare their devotion to Christ, but to instill fear in their victims. And so it's accurate for me to say that Samuel Bowers was sincerely devoted to his purported Christian faith during his time as the imperial wizard of the White Knights of the KKK. And it's a terrorist group, and it numbered 10,000 vigilantes under his leadership. And we've got to remember that the KKK was not just strong in the South. It was strong out in Southern California. It was uh, really strong in the state of Indiana. It was widespread across the United States. So in all public meetings of the nights, Bowers opened in prayer, read from his Bible, and spoke in religious language with statements like, a solemn, determined spirit of Christian reverence must be stimulated in all white knight members. One may find it difficult to comprehend how Bowers, on the one hand, can appear dedicated to Christian charity, 
but on the other, used militant force against his enemies. And I think the 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal explained this paradox best when he noted men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it from a religious conviction. When one examines the Christian nationalist ideology behind the hatred depicted in the film Mississippi Burning, one concludes that the Christian nationalist brand has not changed since the time Christianity first sounded the genocidal note. And when was that? The moment when the church merged with the empire under Emperor Constantine at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD and declared a final separation from its Jewish foundation. And here's a decree from the Council of Nicaea, and many scholars and theologians would say, well, it was at that council when Christianity really defined its doctrine and theology, and that's true, but sewn into that entire council was a rabid anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism. Here's a decree from the Council of Nicaea, and it truly is, in the first place, it seemed to everyone a most unworthy thing that we should follow the custom of the Jews in the celebration of this holiest solemnity, Passover, who polluted wretches have stained their hands with a nefarious crime. In other words, they committed deicide, they killed Christ, so they're criminals. Uh, they're justly blinded in their minds. It is fit, therefore, that rejecting the practice of this people, we should perpetuate to all future ages the celebration of this rite in a more legitimate order. Let us have nothing in common with the most hostile rubble and rabble of the Jews. In his book, Has Anti-Semitism Roots in Christianity? Jewish historian Jules Isaac states, After very deep historic research, I say and maintain that the fate of the Jewish people did not take on a truly inhuman character until the 4th century A.D. with the coming of the Christian Empire. So he's making the connection, Jules Isaac is, that the, the church became genocidal. It took on the genocidal note when the church and the state merged in 325 A.D. under Constantine. In his dialogue with Trifo, a Jew, written between 155 and 160, church father Justin Martyr, who, by the way, was a rabid anti-Semite, lays the groundwork for the Christian identity movement that would later influence Samuel Bowers to demonize and terrorize Jews when he writes, and this is Justin Martyr, the true spiritual Israel and descendants of Judah, Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham are we who have been led to God through the crucified Christ. We who have been quarried out from the bowels of Christ are the true Israelite race. They, God's promises to Israel, are not yours but ours. So it was Justin Martyr that began to teach replacement theology, that Jews have forever been rejected and that the church is the new Israel and that's when uh, the seed of replacement theology was born. And then later in 325 AD, the marriage between uh, the empire and Christianity uh, was consummated. And from then on out, uh, Christianity used the force of the state uh, to persecute Jewish people and others. Driven by jealousy, the early church fathers developed a Christian theology that delegitimized Jews, Judaism, and Israel. The, this theology continues to be widely propagated today in Christian seminaries and church pulpits. It's known as replacement theology. It's also called supersessionism or triumphalism. And this theology teaches that Christians have superseded Jews, triumphed 
over them and replace them as God's chosen people. This theology inspired the Crusades, the Inquisition, the pogroms. What's a pogrom? It's the driving of Jews uh, from their communities. It also inspired the Holocaust. The same theology of replacement is the impetus behind the long history of Christian anti-Semitism and the rudder of historic and contemporary Christian nationalism. Whenever Christianity merges with the state, while at the same time being driven by the apostate doctrine of supersessionism, it never ends well for Jews. Modern scholars call this marriage, the merger of secular nationalism with ideological religious terrorism as hybrid terrorism. And that's what we've seen throughout most of church history, a hybrid terrorism where there's a mixture of nationalism and religious ideology. And when you merge the empire with the state, with uh, piety, with religion, again, it ends in tyranny and authoritarianism. The marriage of Justin Martyr's doctrine of replacement to Constantine's secular nationalism was consummated in 325 A.D. Since then, the brand has not changed. The emblems and the rallying cries of Christian nationalists change, but the brand remains constant. The symbol of the murdered Christian crusaders, the murderous Christian crusaders, I'm sorry, what was their symbol as they, they crossed uh, you know, from Europe uh, all the way to Jerusalem? They killed many Jews along the way. What was the emblem of these murderous Christian crusaders? It was the cross. And what was their cry? Uh, Dus volt. God wills it. So they were proclaiming God wills us to murder Jews. The emblem of the Inquisition in which many Jews were tortured and murdered was an olive branch of peace and a sword. And these symbols sadistically mixed kindness with physical violence. Imagine that. This is the emblem of the the Catholic Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition, the uh, Portugal Inquisition. Inquisition. It was an olive branch of peace and a sword. That's to me, that's sadistic. And much like Samuel Bowers said the same thing, we mix Christian piety with violence. And inscribed on many of the devices used to torture the church's victims were the words, Glory be only to God. In most cases, the murders were not performed by the church, but carried out by secular authorities under the Pope's command. And the Inquisition is an example of hybrid terrorism. And that's an interesting subject for for you to study, is the Inquisition. What was it? What happened was uh, the church kicked out, uh, in Spain, Ferdinand and Isabel, they kicked out all the Jews from Spain. But some of the Jews said, you know, we don't want to lose our lands and our homes. We don't want to be driven out to the streets. So they converted to Catholicism, and they were called the conversos. And what happened was, after a while, the Pope said, you know, we want to make sure that these Jews who have converted are actually Christians because we have to protect the Christian culture in Spain. Uh, that had mixed itself with uh, the Spanish state. We have to protect the Christian culture from these Jews. So we're going to establish the office of the inquirer, the inquisition, 
and we're going to interview these Jewish people, and we're going to torture them until they tell us the truth. So many Jews were murdered on the racks. They were uh, bludgeoned with swords because actually it came out that they hadn't really converted. So that's what happens when you mix piety with politics. It always ends in bloodshed, mostly for Jews. In Nazi Germany, many emblems represented the merger of Christianity with Nazi ideology, including the Iron Cross. As well, the belt buckles worn by the Wehrmacht soldiers were emblazoned with a cross and the words got mit uns, which means God is with us. So for me personally, my family was murdered uh, by these soldiers. So the last thing my family would have seen before they were shot and thrown into a mass grave would be the words, God is with us and a cross. The favorite rallying cry of the German people during Hitler's reign was Deutschland erwach, which means Germany awaken. Hitler was demanding that Aryan Germans come to the realization awaken to the Nazi belief that Jewish Bolsheviks were coming to replace them and destroy their Christian values. Hitler once said, by defending myself against the Jew, I'm fighting for the work of the Lord. The emblem of the KKK was a burning cross, and the motto of the KKK was, for God, race, and nation. During the protests on January 6th at our nation's capital, Christian nationalist participants uh, displayed crosses and held up banners proclaiming, Jesus is my savior, Trump is my president. One rioter carried a huge picture of Jesus wearing a MAGA hat. Christian anti-Semitism continues to rear its ugly head, not only at events such as the January 6th protest, but also at ostensibly Christian public events. To promote an upcoming August event in Las Vegas in August of this year, the 21st stop on its national tour, the Christian nationalist group Reawaken America used an anti-Semitic trope. The headline is in bold letters, The Great Reawakening versus The Great Reset. Pictured on the Great Reawakening side are six people, including the founder of the organization, Clay Clark, Trump's former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, Michael Lindell, founder of MyPillow, and conspicuously positioned on the side of the righteous is a holy Bible. On the Great Reset side, there are also six individuals pictured, Klaus Schwab, founder of the World Economic Forum, Jewish billionaire George Soros, Bill Gates, Israeli historian Yuval Noah Harari, Barack Obama, and Jewish entrepreneur Mark Zuckerberg. Also featured in this section is the cover of a book by WEF founder Klaus Schwab entitled The Great Reset, and a graphic picture of a serpent with its mouth opened and fangs extended. The underlying message of the promotional poster is clear. The leaders of the Great Reawakening represent all that is holy. The six leaders of the Great Reset represent all that is evil. It's Bible-believing Christians against evil men who desire to reset the world to a new unchristian standard. If that optic isn't troubling enough, it gets worse. Of the six people on the evil side, half are Jewish. So the ultimate message is obvious. Reawaken America is an organization about righteous Christians fighting evil Jews in the massive product store at Reawaken America conferences. And this gets really dark and evil. One distributor hands out the anti-Semitic booklet, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, free of charge. So they allow this distributor to hand out the protocols, which you can look that up too. Just look up the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. 
It is an anti-Semitic book that is all lies written uh, and produced by uh, Henry Ford back in the 1920s. One of the speakers in the Reawaken America lineup is Scott McKay, who is also known as the Patriot Street Fighter, and he has a streaming program on Rumble. McKay sympathized with Hitler because he was attempting to break free of the Rothschild's corrupt money magic fiat system and develop a banking system for the people of the free world. Doesn't that sound like uh, Samuel Bowers, who talked about the Jews, that you know they control the banking systems of the world? Uh, McKay has said that Hitler was fighting the same people we're trying to take down. These people are so elusive and slippery and cunning that we ended up having World War II. The implication is that the Jews caused the war. McKay also says that 9-11 terror attack was orchestrated by the same group of people that has done a very good job at hiding under the religion of Judaism. McKay draws from the ancient anti-Semitic myth of the blood libel when he proclaims Jews practice Satanism, child sacrifice, bleeding them out, torturing them, consuming them, eating their flesh. So he's been a keynote speaker at an evangelical Christian nationalist conference that has now hit 22 cities across America. Generally, their crowds are between five and 10,000 people that sponsor and, and support this Christian nationalist violent ideology. Another prominent speaker in the Reawaken America tour is Pastor Greg Locke of Global Vision Bible Church in Tennessee on May 7th of 2023. Locke proclaimed to his congregation, if the Jewish people are really God's people, then how come all these centuries they have had so many problems? And there's a curse upon them, and Hitler killed six million of them. And how come it took until 1948 to get back into their homeland? And why is there right now the threat of civil war this month in Israel? Why are the Jews having so much trouble if they are really the people of God. It's almost a direct quote from the KKK in 1964 of Samuel Bowers saying that the Jews are lying. They're not really the people of God. Christians are actually the people of God. The message of Reawaken America promotional poster is clear. Christianity is in a religious war against an evil world empire controlled by Jewish billionaires, Jewish entrepreneurs, and Jewish academics. The organization's motto Reawaken America or the Great Reawakening sounds a lot like the Nazis rallying cry, Deutschland Erwach, which means Germany Awaken. Connect the dots. Um, Reawaken America, the Great Awakening in America, the Reawaken America uh, uh, proposes that we want everyone to awaken to the globalists trying to take over our country is the same fear-based ideology of Dushland Irwak. It's a clarion call warning contemporary Christian nationalists that if they don't wake up, they will be replaced by the globalist vision of these nefarious evil Jews. Christian nationalist Rick Wiles, founder of the cable radio online outlet True News and pastor of Flowing Streams Church in Vero Beach, Florida, regularly blames Jews on his media outlet for attacking American Christian culture and warns Jews and Christians 
uh, that, that warns Jews that Christians plan to impose a Christian rule in this country, whilst foments hate by claiming things such as the following. A day is coming when Christians are going to lose their lives as they confront the synagogue of Satan. They, the Jews, are coming for you. There will be a purge. When Jews take over a country, they kill millions of Christians. Our culture has been de decimated, says Wiles, who has attacked our Christian culture, who has filed lawsuits to remove crosses and Bibles, who has done it, the synagogue of Satan, the Jews, says Wiles. Christian nationalism has taken root in American evangelicalism, and rampant within this movement is a concerning anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism. A new 2023 PRRI Brookings survey of more than 6,000 Americans found that 27% of Americans, that's 100 million people, by the way, believe the U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation. 44% of Americans believe American Jews are more loyal to Israel than to America, and 23% believe Jewish people hold too many positions of power in the U.S. government. There's nothing new under the Christian nationalist brand. The lust to mix piety with political power is just too tempting. The jealousy embodied within replacement theology is apparently too powerful for many Christians to overcome. That's why Jews are always the enemy of those who embrace hybrid terrorism. Declaring Jews are no longer God's chosen people makes it easier, convenient really, to say they are Satan's seed. What the early church fathers, the Nazis, Samuel Bowers, and contemporary Christian nationalists all have in common is they all drink from the same poisoned well. Anti-Semitism that comes from the left is like climate change, as I said earlier. It's like a slow-moving tropical storm. It moves slowly. But anti-Semitism that comes from the Christian nationalist right is like a hurricane. Its destructive force has always led to tyranny and ended in Jewish bloodshed. The rhetoric of contemporary Christian nationalists sounds a lot like the ideology of Samuel Bowers, and it is leaning towards a call to violence. The pen, in my view, is beginning to drop from the proverbial grenade. FBI agent Ward, played by William Daffo in Mississippi Burning, he asked a foreboding question. Where does it come from, all this hatred? Let's hope today's Christian nationalists will connect the dots to their brand's blood-soaked past before more people are hurt. And it's easy to do so. Just look what has happened over the eight, last 18, 1900 years since the church merged with the state. Uh, it always ends in the bloodshed of Jews. So these are the days we're living in, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that you'll take these things in, into thought. And when you see things that are happening... Don't be easily swayed. You're thinking people. Uh, you're intellectual people. Don't be swayed by what you see. Always think through things. And if you have to change your mind about some things, then that might be a good idea. I did because I was always focused on the right evangelical left. But now I'm seeing, wow, the right uh, extreme evangelical right uh, with this Christian nationalist ideology is becoming more and more dangerous. We'll see you next time on Israel and You. God bless.